Hello everybody, this is Dan trying to put a good Bible study. I'm covering in this audio 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 through 15. Paul is continuing his discussion of the collection for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And in the process of this chapter, he's going to talk about sowing generously so that you might reap bountifully. He's going to talk about cheerful giving. So we can make many, many applications to giving today. The context is this. In chapter 8, he had done two things. One, he had talked about that poor collection for the Jerusalem poor saints. And then he had commended Titus in preparation for Titus going down to Corinth to collect that, collect the Corinthians portion of that poor collection. Now, if you recall, Paul is in Macedonia writing 2 Corinthians. He had met Titus coming back from Corinth. Titus said the year earlier, the Corinthians a year earlier had started making preparations for the gift and they had promised that they would give money and they hadn't done it probably because of all the problems that arose. And Titus had gone down there and he had... He, in fact, he's helped start to arrange that gift with the Corinthians, and then at, at some point he had reported back to Paul, this place is a mess. The church at Corinth is a mess. So Paul sent him back down there and was waiting to hear from him, and he had, didn't hear from him in Ephesus. Titus hadn't come back, so he goes up to Troas. Titus still hadn't come back, so he crossed on over the northern Aegean, crossed the Hellespont into Macedonia, waiting for Titus to come back. And finally, Titus meets him somewhere in Macedonia, which is either Philippi, Thessalonica or Berea, and Titus had such good news about Corinth that Paul sent Titus back to Corinth to finish the poor collection. So here we are, 2 Corinthians 9.1, now concerning the ministry to the saints, and again it's talking about the ministry to the saints as the poor saints in Jerusalem and the minister, minister to them is collecting money for them, Paul says it is unnecessary for me to write to you. Now, what he means is unnecessary for me to write any more to you, as John Gill says, because in chapter 8, he's written a lot, as we've talked about in our last several audios. And Jameson, Foss, and Brown say that there's another reason, there's no reason for him to write anything more, is because there already, there already are three witnesses about what the Corinthians are supposed to do. Paul is sending down to Corinth from Macedonia, Titus, and also the brother who was praised, the praised brother, and the brother who was tested and is zealous. That's the third brother, three brothers. We don't know who the other two brothers are. That's just speculation. So he didn't need to write anymore. He's already written a lot, and he's sending three people down there. So let's get it done, Corinthians. Second Corinthians 9, 2. For I know your eagerness, and I brag about you to the Macedonians. Quote, Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So Paul has already, perhaps spoken a little prematurely, to the Macedonians and say, hey, the Achaeans, that means the Corinthians, they have really, they have really said they're, they're going to give a lot of money. They're eager to give a lot of money. They had not actually done it yet, but they're really eager. And that attitude on the part of the Corinthians has stirred up the Macedonians to give money also. Achaia, by the way, is the Roman term for, the, for what we would call Greece. It was a Roman province in ancient Greece history. Achaia was just a small section right there on the southern end of the southern shore of the Corinthian Canal. But it later took on a Roman name of the whole, at least the whole Peloponnesus, the whole southern part of Greece, and maybe even the whole country of Greece, including the northern part, Attica and Boeotia. But at any rate, what Paul is referring to here is the Corinthians, because basically that was the church in Greece. There weren't any other churches, really. Now... Adam Clark says, no, Paul is referring to other churches beside Corinthians. For example, the port city of Sincrea near Corinth. Well, that's Corinth. That's close enough. We're basically talking about the Corinthians, and he's bragging about them, bragging about their eagerness, their zeal to give. 
but talk is cheap. They've just been talking big. They haven't done big yet. And, of course, he's probably talking about their former zeal when a year ago they were so hot to give, but then all their problems hit their church and the zeal to give had dried up. Paul had stirred them up the previous year, as we read in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, this is 1 Corinthians now, the first letter. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. So Paul is saying, get ready. I'm coming. I don't want to be fundraising when I get there. Have the money ready. And he'd done that earlier. First Corinthians is probably written in the first part of AD 55 and Second Corinthians in the last latter part of AD 55. So he'd already told him Titus had been down there arranging the gift a year earlier. And then Paul had written to him. They were all, he was all ready for that gift, all that money, but he hadn't collected the money yet, so now he's getting ready to do it. Second Corinthians 9, 3, but I have sent the brethren, now remember that's Titus, brother number one, brother number two is the praised brother. The ESV has known for spreading, preaching the gospel in all the churches, I think, instead of praised brother, but anyway, it's the praised brother, and the third brother is the one who is tested and zealous. So those three brethren went down to Corinth in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, the case of collected money for the poor saints. The boasting Paul is referring to is his boasting he had made to the churches of Macedonia. And that boast is going to be a vain, empty boast if he doesn't collect any money after all of his big talk about the Corinthians. So that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. As I was saying refers to the verse 2 that we just read. For I know your eagerness and I brag about you to the Macedonians, Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. As I was saying, and all this bragging about you, in order that our boasting about you may not be made in this case. So he says, as I was saying, as I was boasting, I want you to be prepared. John Gill asked sort of an interesting question. He says, well now, why did Paul send those three brethren down to the Corinthians? Since the Corinthians were all good now, they'd straightened out. John Gill says, Paul knew the fickleness of human nature. He knew the Corinthians might grow cold in their ardor to give. Well, that's a little cynical, I think. It could just be he wanted accountability, and this is my opinion. It could be he just wanted accountability when the Corinthians contributed their money. It was a big collection, a big deal. The brothers were down there, and the Corinthians said, all right, this is how much we're giving. This is it. Paul wants to have his trusted people there to know that nobody's skimming anything off the top. There's so many ways that skullduggery can go on with money. And he was just trying to protect himself, I think. That's why he sent the brother down there for accountability's sake. We go now to Second Corinthians 9, verses 4 through 5. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. In other words, the confidence he had that they were going to give money. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift. In other words, he wasn't going to take any chances. He's not going to go down there and say, okay, where's the money? And the Corinthians say, oops, we haven't collected any. So he wants an arrangement beforehand of their previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. In other words, any covetousness that might arise before Paul got there, Corinthians might, well, maybe Gill is right. Maybe the Corinthians might, Paul was afraid that the Corinthians might cool off in their order to give and people might start to get to be a little stingy and they not give as much as they would have given. And so he decides to send the three brethren down there to make sure that they're, they're still hot to get, the Corinthians are still hot to give and the gift is not going to be shrunk by some stinginess that might arise before Paul got there. 
Now, Paul says that if any Macedonians come with me, that would be people accompanying Paul, not the trusted brother, not the famous brother, not the tested brother. They are already down in Corinth with Titus. But if some other brethren came with Paul, they came down there, and then the Macedonians were unprepared, well, how embarrassing would that look? It would make the Corinthians look stingy. And then when Paul says, okay, they got you guys, you said you would give, and then they start giving then, then it would look like they were giving out of shame because they had embarrassed themselves and embarrassed Paul by not giving, so now they're giving out of shame. That wouldn't be good. So Paul says, well, let's just get it taken care of before we get there. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul continues, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now Paul is using an agricultural metaphor here. You put a lot of seeds in the ground, you're going to get a lot of fruit. It's just as simple as that. And of course, he's referring to money. If you sow money sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you give a lot of money, God's going to bless you with a lot of money in return. Now, this is a principle that is written into the laws of agriculture, the laws of nature. It's written into the laws of human nature. That's just the way it is. You give, and God will give it, give back to you. Now, unfortunately, there are certain people in the body of Christ, the prosperity preachers, who've taken this truth and abused it, and they turn it into a formula, a faith formula, turns God into an impersonal bank up there who's shoveling out money, to people who give money. Well, I guess the good news is that if faith people are giving money, that's good. Unfortunately, the people they're giving often are giving to their darn jet planes and their $23 million mansions instead of the poor and to itinerant ministries is which where the money went to in the New Testament. Orphans, widows, preachers of the gospel, evangelists, not million-dollar mansions. So, yeah, it's been abused, but it's a true principle. You reap what you sow. Now, this is actually was probably a well-known proverb, as the NIV Study Bible says. It's not, however, in our book of Proverbs in the Bible. But it's true. You reap sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. You reap plenty. You sow, you sow, sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. You sow plentifully, you're going to reap plentifully. Now, Adam Clark says that the word sows was an expression used by the Jews to mean almsgiving. So he says the Jews had already made the metaphor apply to giving money as opposed to putting seeds in the ground. Second Corinthians 9, 7, Each one must do just as he has proposed, as, as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Purposed in his heart, that would be probably for the earlier collection that people had already said they were going to give to, they were eager to give to the year earlier, the one that Titus had started. And so Paul says, well, just go ahead and fulfill your promises and don't be grudging about it. Be happy about it. Don't don't do it under compulsion. I'm not making you do this. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves givers and he loves givers that are cheerful that like giving that money away. And I don't know about you, but it's just a little hard, you know, sometimes to give the money to write the check. Oh, I hate to let that money go. I've got all these things I got to pay for and I got to worry about this. I got to worry about that. Give it cheerfully. You'll get blessed God loves a cheerful giver. Here's proof of that. Luke 6:38. This is Jesus speaking. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, if you want to talk about the prosperity message, this is what you ought to do is emphasize the giving, and the, the getting will come. Now, you shouldn't give to get. You should give because you care about the poor person. You care about the itinerant evangelist or minister of the gospel that you're giving to. You need to care about who you give to. But God is going to bless you. 
It might not be automatic, and that might, might not be instantly, and you might be a little tight for a while because you gave a lot, but God's going to bless you. Note that Jesus said, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So if you have a pint-sized cup that you're doling out the grain, you're going to get a pint-sized cup of, of grain in return. But if you've got a big, huge barrel of money that you're giving, you're going to get a big, huge barrel of money back. This is I don't know how else you can say it. That's exactly what Jesus said. Adam Clark points out that the Jews had two chests for alms in the temple. One chest was for offerings prescribed by the law, and people would give into that chest to escape perdition, <laughs> to escape going to hell. The law demands this, I'm going to give the money. The other chest was for free will offerings, and people would give voluntarily and cheerfully to that. Free will, cheerful. God loves a cheerful giver. And that, my friends, is why I'm opposed to this idea of tithe. I mean, I I, spe- I fantasized about teaching a group of people. And I say, okay, now here are the verses about tithing in the Old Testament. They're, they don't have any in the New Testament, at least during the times of the New Testament church. But under the Old Covenant order, there's verses about tithes. And I say, okay, now I want you to use this to convince me to give more. And then I'm going to look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and give that to somebody else and let them use that to convince me to give more. Cheerful giver. You give, and it'll be given back unto you abundantly. Well, does that encourage you to give more than this? You better give your tithe, or God's not going to like you anymore. He's going to be angry with you because you're disobeying the law. Well, you know, I think the answer to that's obvious. This is the New Testament law of giving, folks, the law of Christ. is giving cheerfully, sowing bountifully that you might reap bountifully. Giving not grudgingly, but cheerfully. There is no 10% in the New Testament church. It ain't there. I'll give you a million dollars if you can find it. <laughs> Appeal to your cupidity. Of course, after you get, if you do find it, and I give you a million dollars, I want you to give it back to me so God can bless you some more. All right, so now we go to verse 8, 2 Corinthians 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Now, this grace here is talking about money. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So you give, that means you have everything that you need materially, and then you will have more than what you need materially so that you can give it to other people who need it so that there might be a quality, as Paul puts it in the last chapter. Giving money will never deprive one of what he needs in order to live. God takes care of his children. Remember the Sermon on the Mount. The birds don't worry. They don't store up stuff in the barn, but they always have something to eat. The flowers of the field always are dressed beautifully. You don't need to worry about it. When Paul says you may have an abundance for every good deed, that means that one's money should never be used merely only for your own needs. You need to have money for good deeds. Every good deed, that means all kinds of good deeds. Give money to people that need it. Here's some Old Testament scriptures about generosity and sowing generously. Proverbs 22, 9. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. He doesn't give all of his food to the poor because he and his family need food to eat, of course, but he gives some of his food to the poor. Proverbs 11.25, the generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. What's nice about these verses is very clear what they mean. You just need to read them and it gets you in the mood for giving more. Now, notice that this grace here is talking about money. As I said, God is able to make all grace abound to you. As John Gill and Adam Clark and Jameson Fawcett and Brown, all three say, it's referring to money, material things. Grace is referring to money. It's kind of interesting. Interesting that something as spiritual as grace could be connected with money. It's because it's not money that's the root of all evil, folks. It's the love of money. 
And here, you can show that you don't love money when you see somebody in need and you give them money. That means you love that person more than you love the money. In fact, if you want to, if you worry about being too greedy, if you worried about that you have too much larceny in your soul, start giving money away. It's amazing how when you start doing that and you say, well, okay, I'll let it go. Let me be a little bit more cheerful next time. <laughs> Keep doing that. And all of a sudden, especially when you give it to people that need it, oh, my gosh, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's one, re- that's one reason I like giver to getter giving rather than giving to institutions, although I just gave some money to institutions, probably because I'm a little bit isolated now and don't have... I'm not around people who need money, but boy, when you give money to an individual who needs money, oh gosh, and you see the gratitude on their face, because there ain't nothing worse than poverty, folks. And you can tell as Paul's raising this money for those Corinthian, for those Jerusalem saints in Jerusalem, he knows what it means to be poor. He has been without himself and had to trust in God to supernaturally supply for him. And he knows how poor those saints are in Jerusalem, and he knows what grinding poverty is. It ain't pleasant. And so... We need to take care in some way. I know there are these ministries that take little poor kids that are born overseas in, in undeveloped countries, and, and and they collect money for these poor kids. or something like that. Give money to the poor. God's not going to let you starve for doing that. He's going to bless you. Verse 8, 2 Corinthians 9, God is able to make all grace abound to you. I just read that verse. Excuse me. Let's go now to verse 9, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 9. As it is written, he scattered, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Again, Paul is using, or actually Paul is quoting Psalm 112, verse 9. The scripture is using a metaphor, an agricultural metaphor to apply to financial giving. When someone scatters, that means he takes the seed and he scatters it all over the place. It's a good metaphor because when you give, give it to a lot of places. As it is written, he scattered and gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. This is a quotation that Paul is using from the Septuagint version of Psalms 112, verse 9. He, and this is referring, you go back to verse 6, and you can see that the subject here is the righteous man. He, the righteous man, distributes freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. And as some commentator I read, and I can't find it right now, but some one of my commentators said that Paul is assuming here as he quotes this verse that the last part of Psalm 112 verse 9 would be remembered because he leaves off his horn will be exalted in honor. Horn means the, is a symbol of strength. So he will be strength. He will be strongly exalted in honor. He will be lifted up. In other words, he's going to have a lot of money coming back to him, the righteous man who distributes freely to the poor. So we assume that Paul knows that the people are going to understand Psalm 112.9 is to have a blessing coming back in return. Righteousness, by the way, was used by many Jewish rabbis to refer to almsgiving. So it could mean metaphorically this generous giver's righteousness will endure forever. Or it could mean his almsgiving will endure forever. Why? Because he doesn't ever give out of seed to sow because he always has a sufficiency for every good deed. He has enough for himself and enough to give. Well, at any rate, the metaphor is clear. Give and it will be given unto you. Now we have one more question here. As it is written, he scattered. The Holman Christian Study Bible capitalizes the he. He scattered. Capital he gave to the poor. Capital H, his righteousness endures forever. Remember, there are no capital letters in the original Hebrew and Greek, so it's a translator's choice. So the he there, the Holman Christian Study Bible is talking about God scattered, and God gave to the poor. God's righteousness endures forever. 
Now, there are some other translations that agree with that. The American Standard Version, the English Revised Version, has he, the uppercase h, so it makes it refer to God. However, most of the translations that I looked at had a lowercase h there. The ESV, the KJV, the Lexham English Bible, Young's Literal Bible, J.P. Green's Literal Bible. They all said, as it is written, he scattered, he gave to the poor, the righteous man. Now, remember, the original psalm was not God that was distributing freely to the poor. The context clearly shows it was a righteous man, a human being, that was scattering and giving to the poor. Well, Ellicott's commentary says it should be the lowercase h, that when Paul quotes the psalm, he's not shifting the meaning of the psalm from a righteous man giving to God giving, not shifting the meaning of Psalm 112, verse 9, from a from a man whose righteousness endures forever, but it shifts to God's righteousness endures forever. Ellicott says, no, that's not true. Paul is, is quoting the verse, quoting the psalm in exactly the same way it was written, that he is referring to a righteous man scatters and gives to the poor, and a righteous man's righteousness will endure forever. Because righteousness there means ability to give alms, and so a righteous man's ability to give alms will endure forever because God will always give him money to give to the poor. Let me read the quote from Ellicott. Quote, at first it might almost seem as if the, the verses from Psalms were quoted in a different sense from the original. Excuse me, as if the verses in Second Corinthians were quoted in a different sense from the original and applied not to the giver of alms, but to God as the giver of all good. There are, however, sufficient grounds for taking them in their true meaning here also. The original meaning, he means. The good man gives to the poor, the psalmist has said, but he is not impoverished by his gifts. His righteousness, the word is used in the sense of almsgiving, continues still forever and ever. He can, Ellicott continues, he can, the righteous man, go on giving from a constantly replenished store. And I think Ellicott's right there. He's talking about human beings. Not, I think the Holman Christian Study Bible should not have capitalized the H. He's talking about people who scatter, people who give to the poor. If you do, your righteousness, your ability to give to the poor will endure forever. I mentioned that the poor, that the generous man scatters. Adam Clark says that that is a reference to broadcasting in planning. With a full, and Jameson Fawcett Brown says that broadcasting is done with a full and open hand, without anxious thought in what direction each grain may fall. It's a perfect metaphor for giving. We go to 2 Corinthians 9.10. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. That is a quotation from Isaiah 55.10. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat. So in other words, God provides rain and snow he also provides the seed that grows from the previous crops. He provides the food to eat that comes from the crops. He provides everything. Everything comes from God. Now, if God does that, if you provide seed for the sower, well, by golly, he's going to give you bread for food. He's going to multiply your seed so that you'll have more seed to sow. He's going to increase the harvest of your righteousness. And remember, righteousness probably is the Hebrew idea of giving alms. He's going to increase the harvest of your righteousness, which means you're going to give more alms and, and you're going to harvest thanksgiving from that or maybe even material benefit from the alms that you give. It's kind of like a productive cycle. You give and God gives to you, then you're so blessed and you give to other people and they are so happy and they give to people. If everybody gives in the Church of Christ, there's no need for poverty, folks. I tell you, when I talk to people that are having, that are really tight financially, 
and they're talking about, should I do this, should I buy this, should I do whatever, I said, have you given? I said, do you have a regular place, especially young married couples when you don't have a lot of money? I said, do you have a place in your budget for giving on a regular basis? Because you ain't ever going to really make it financially until you do that. Paul mentions here that when you sow with your multiplied seed that God gives you, you will increase the harvest of your righteousness. That harvest, what could that mean? Gill says it could be material things, spiritual things, or both. And I suppose it's both. I mentioned the spiritual things of a good name among men, Thanksgiving. I mentioned that. And I mentioned material things. You can get more, God will bless you with more money. But it's both. All kind of good things. There really is no dichotomy between spiritual things that God and, and material things that God has made because God is the author of both of them. We tend to make that dichotomy in an ascetic sort of way that somehow material things are evil. Now, Paul says here in verse 10 that God is going to multiply your seed. Again, carrying forth the metaphor here, you give and God multiplies it. The multiplication of your seed because you put a little seed in the ground and it grows into a big plant with lots of corn, lots of wheat. Well, let's look at some Old Testament verses that talk about multiplication. Hosea 10:12. Sow righteousness for yourselves and reap faithful love. Break up your unplowed ground. It is time to seek the Lord until he comes and sends righteousness on you like the rain. Now, if Hosea is talking about just righteousness in general, or maybe he's talking about almsgiving, I'm not really sure. But whatever it is, Hosea says, sow righteousness and reap righteousness like the rain. Matthew 10, verse 42. And whoever gives just a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he is the disciple, this is Jesus speaking, I assure you, he will never lose his reward. You give a cup of cold water to a little disciple, you're not going to lose your reward. And that's a promise from the Son of God. Matthew 6:33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. That's the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about all these things, talking about clothing, talking about food. Seek God first, and he's going to provide for you. He's going to multiply for you any material thing that you need. 2 Corinthians 9:11. you will be enriched in every way for all generosity. All the generosity that you show, you're going to be enriched in every way as a result. For all your generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. In other words, you Corinthians will be generous, put money in my poor collection, we me and my fellow disciples, I and my fellow disciples, will distribute this money, and that's going to produce thanksgiving on the part of those who receive the money that we are going to distribute. So you give, we distribute, and the recipients give thanks. And when the recipients give thanks, of course, you will be enriched for that. Now, enriched how? John Gill says enriched materially in every possible way. In my opinion, it's enriched both spiritually and materially, because I don't make such a big dichotomy between the two. We go to verse 12, 2 Corinthians 9. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. In other words, the effects of the contribution will go beyond Jerusalem, according to the NIV Study Bible. The rest of the church will offer prayer and praise. Well, I imagine the saints in Jerusalem are going to be offering prayer and praise too. So everybody gives thanks to God, both the givers and the getters. Thank, give thanks to God for the generosity that is, that is being shown. This is a fantastic teaching on giving. 2 Corinthians 9.13, They will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with others through the proof provided by this service. The they there is the Jerusalem saints will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ. 
when you give money, you're confessing that this is the good news of Jesus. He gives. You give. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with others through the proof provided by this service. Proof means you show something. You show that you love. You show the gospel of Christ, which is a gospel of love. You show the love. It shows that you're obedient. It shows that when you confess the gospel of Christ, you're obedient to that confession. As John Gill puts it, quote, true faith in the doctrine of grace and a sincere obedience to it are best declared and known by love to the saints. We go to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 14, and they, that's the Jerusalem saints, will have deep affection for you and their prayers on your behalf, on your Corinthians, your, referring to the Corinthians, on your behalf because of the surpassing grace of God in you. When you give, that means you have surpassing grace, super abundant grace, superordinate grace, grace that goes above and beyond, and they will have a deep affection for you. Now, we'll say this, you know, giving this done right will produce affection and giving and, 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 and gratitude on the part of the recipients. But there's, you give money a lot of times and you will produce resentment. They resent the giver because the giver has shown that the, the recipient is not able to provide for himself and therefore the recipient feels inferior and pretty soon they start resenting the people giving. Now I have seen this happen. I, I'm not making this up. It does happen. But now Paul is assuming that these Corinthian, these Jerusalem saints will be spiritual. They're not going to act that way. They're going to take the money freely, and they're going to be thankful to the Corinthians and the other people who gave money to that fund. They're not going to start feeling dependent on them or jealous of them and all that kind of stuff. I mean, anything can be screwed up by human flesh, including the act of giving and getting. So Paul says in verse 14, in verse 14, 2 Corinthians 9, they will have deep affection for you in their prayers on your behalf. You know, when somebody does something for you, the best thing you could do for them in return is to pray for them. We should always pray for each other. Never stop praying for each other. I know I've helped a lot of Chinese uh, young Christians in spiritual things, spiritual advice, scriptural advice, all that kind of thing. And they've never given me money. I don't expect any. They don't have any, for one thing, and I don't, wouldn't expect any anyway. But what I do is I say, will you pray for me? Because, boy, they know how to pray. And they, you look at them on the, on the video screen. They got their hands folded and their eyes prayed, and they start praying. <laughs> Some of them who have good English won't even pray in English. They pray in Chinese because they feel closer to God in their native language. And so they're, they're praying for you. So, yeah, you receive something from somebody, get them to pray for you in return. I believe in prayer. 2 Corinthians 9.15, Paul finishes the chapter up by saying, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Of course, his indescribable gift, the gift that can't be described, is the gift of God's own Son to the church. As the NIV Study Bible says, true Christian giving is in response to the indescribable gift we have been given. So Paul is finishing up by saying, Look, Jesus gave everything to you. How about give a little bit to some people who need it? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? With those happy words, we finish up chapter 9, and we'll take up chapter 10 in the next audio. In chapter 10, Paul will return to his theme of defending himself against those who attack him. He has spent a lot of time doing this. He's going to take up a whole chapter, 17 verses. We'll look at that next audio. I hope you enjoyed this one.